Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing in the room today? Doing pretty good? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. It's also great to have you if you're watching online or maybe listening later. Uh, Today, we launch a brand new series. So if you're joining for the first time, this is a great time for you to join. And it's all about marriage. So we're diving into marriage. But if some of you, or maybe a lot of you even in this room, you say, hey, I'm, I'm not married or I'm single, or I I was married, but I'm not anymore, whatever. What what I want you to know is that this entire series is going to provide value to you, whatever your relational circumstances are. In fact, even later in this series, we're going to have one sermon totally devoted to singleness. So I want you to hang with me. But where we're diving in today, I'm going to jump right in, uh, is that sometimes our idea of what marriage will look like clashes with reality. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? Amen. Okay. Amen. I heard you online too. It was so loud. So sometimes our version or our idea or our hope for marriage is different than reality. So let me tell you this story. There was an elderly Italian man that was lying, dying in his bed. So he's laying there, he's dying. He knows he's in his last couple days and he's like hanging on. He's like, oh man, this, it's been a great run. I have a wife of 60 years and I know it's these last couple days. But then he gets this aroma all the way upstairs in his bedroom and he starts smelling his favorite cookie. So he starts thinking, he starts going, like, is my wife serving me my favorite cookie in my last day so that I can actually die a happy man? So what does he do? He does what any of us would do. He crawls out of bed. He grips the railing. He kind of moves himself slowly all the way down the stairs. He collapses. And so he's, he's crawling. It's like, you can, you can feel it. Like, this guy wants these cookies so bad. He, he's starting to taste them in his mind. You know what I'm talking about? Like, your favorite food. You can taste it even before you get it. And so as he's crawling, he walks into the kitchen or crawls into the kitchen and there before him on the entire table are hundreds of his favorite these are these are this is a real thing the italian anisette sprinkle cookies so everywhere i mean they're just all over hundreds and hundreds of them and he's going are you kidding me? Like my wife did this for me. And so he's getting closer and closer and closer and he gets right to the edge of the table. He reaches up to grab a cookie. Right at that moment, his hand gets slapped with a spatula by his wife. And she says, don't touch those. Those are for the funeral. (laughs) Who saw that one coming? Who saw that? Almost all the married people in the room are raising their hands, right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes, sometimes our idea of marriage, what we think it's going to look like, is actually very different than reality, right? Sometimes, sometimes marriage, what we thought we were stepping into, was going to be awesome, and it turned out to be horrible. Sometimes what we thought stepping into was like it, it was going to complete or fulfill or, or, or make us feel whole, and, and instead we maybe felt lonelier, maybe more lost, more damaging, more confused. Some of us, the, what we thought we were stepping into or what we thought we were leaving behind, we actually brought right with us. And some of us have been married time and time and time again. Others have had marriages that ended way sooner than we 
than we anticipated. Some of us have had, have had tragedy strike our marriages in different ways. So often our reality is very different than what we perceive to be the reality ahead of time, which is why we're diving in to this series. I can't wait to get into it. So brand new series. It's called Rewriting Love, and we're doing it because many of us have a different idea of marriage than God. Many of us have a very different idea a very different perception, a very different hope for what we will experience in marriage than God does. So one of the questions we're going to tackle today, just in this intro sermon for the series, is this. What does God's idea for marriage actually look like? What does God's idea? We're not going to start with our idea. We're not going to unpack what our culture says is valuable or what our culture says important or what we think marriage should do for us. The, the premise of this entire sermon and the premise for the entire series is this. What does God's idea for marriage actually look like? So to do that, we're going to go to Genesis. Genesis 2, verse 18. It starts like this. God created the whole world. He created the sun and the stars, the moon, the plants, the animals, land, sea. He created all of it. He created Adam, but he looks at Adam. Everything was good to this point until he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. He doesn't say it's not good for all men to be alone. He doesn't say it's not good for all women to be alone. In fact, he doesn't even say it's not good for anyone to be alone. Jesus lived his entire life unmarried. What God says in this moment, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he says is the man talking about Adam. So he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God says, I see a problem and I see something that I want to choose because right now Adam's best friends are llamas. Like, we need to change that, right? It's like, he needs somebody like him. Or, or maybe this, he needs somebody like me. As God created Adam and Eve, we're going to unpack this later in this series, God created both Adam and Eve with his qualities for each other because he's had a purpose for marriage since the very beginning. So Genesis 2.24, it says this. Let's go to the next one here. It says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. One of the things that's in the creation story that was never on the felt board growing up in Sunday school, that maybe you never wrote or articulated or colored in a coloring book, one of the things God created in the first two chapters of Genesis was marriage. He created it. So if God created marriage, then it must mean he has a purpose for it. And the part that just throws me for a loop and the part that is just so mysterious, go ahead and put that last verse up, 224, one, one more time. It says this, and they become, everybody say it with me, one. That in God's economy, in God's world, one plus one does not equal two in marriage. In God's economy, one plus one equals one. Do you know how confusing that is? For those of us that are married, you know it's confusing. In fact, you know it's challenging. You know it's difficult. You know it's mysterious. You know that oftentimes it doesn't function that way. So that's why I want to go back and go, if God has an intention for marriage, it's because he created it. He had a purpose and a specific 
thing in mind that would be accomplished through marriage. And so that's what we're going to dive in, and that's what we're going to unpack. But you have a temptation in front of you today. You know what the temptation is today? It's to write off everything I'm about to say. It's to write it off. The temptation that we have today is to fit our version of marriage into the Bible. As we come in, this is something you actually learn in seminary. When you study the Bible, there's, it's, there's, it's a difference between exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is I come to the scripture and I open it up and I say, what is God trying to say and communicate? And when I understand it, then I apply it to my life. Eisegesis is the opposite. Eisegesis is not what you're supposed to do. Eisegesis says, this is what I think about marriage. This is what I think about myself. This is what I think I need. And this is what I think God can do for me. And then I'm going to open scripture and look for things that justify that. That's not what we're doing today. What we're doing today is we're just going straight to his word, and we're saying, what do you say about marriage? And for a lot of us, it's going to be different than what we hope. But it's amazing. But it's beautiful. Things that God created are the right way. Where we mess up where we break down or where our world starts to collapse is when we say, I'm going to do it my way. So we're going to dive in. We're actually going to fast forward all the way through uh, to Ephesians. So Genesis is obviously the first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginning. We're going to go all the way to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul was a man that actually God got a hold of. Uh, he was Jewish, but he was persecuting Christians early on. Uh, in his career, you could say. He was so good at it. So we actually just talked about Paul, who was formerly Saul in the last series. God got a hold of him, and God said, I'm going to use you to reach non-Jews for me. So Paul wrote a lot of letters all throughout churches, and one of the letters he wrote was to the Ephesian church. It was a church in ancient Ephesus, which is a place you can still visit today. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, and here's what he said. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Where does that come from? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the verse that we just read. Paul is saying, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to unpack, comes straight from God's word at the very beginning. We're going back to the roots. He goes on, he says this, this is a profound, everybody say this word with me right here, mystery. This is a profound mystery. He's talking about marriage, but he continues, and he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This whole chapter, we're actually going to move backwards through this series. This whole chapter talks about what does a Christian marriage, a marriage that's centered on Jesus, what does it actually look like? Because marriage has a grander purpose. Marriage has a really intentional purpose. Marriage, it goes like this. Marriage is designed by God to be a metaphor that points to Jesus. The word mystery, as Paul says, like, I don't even understand it. Like, the two become one flesh. I don't understand it's a mystery. The actual word he uses there is mysterion. Mysterion. Mysterion means, uh, it's how we get our word mystery. But mysterion, how it was used in the Greek, is mysterion means uh, you need to be revealed, or like it needs to be revealed to you the secret. So there's a secret, and it doesn't make sense, and especially to the outside world, to the unbelieving world, to the non-Christian, non-Jesus-following non world, that doesn't make sense. But what he says is, but those who are mine, 
those who are part of my church, those who follow me, who are building their life and building their relationship on me, I will reveal to them the mystery. So, so the mystery, the mysterion, it can also be translated as metaphor. Jesus was a master through his teachings. He used metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. It was word pictures that take something that everybody can see or feel or touch or understand. And he says, this speaks to a greater truth or a greater reality. And what Paul is saying to us is this, marriage is one of those things. That the point of marriage is not me. The point of marriage is not you. The point of marriage is not happiness. The point of marriage is not individual fulfillment. The point of marriage is to point to Jesus. That's how it was at the beginning. That's how it was to the Ephesian church. And that's how it is for us today. But that is not the approach that most of us take on marriage. Right? Here's some fun questions I threw out. I'm like, where's the fun in that? That doesn't sound fun. Like if that's your sales pitch, that's a horrible sales pitch. What else is on the market? Like is there something else I could choose from? It's like, wait, what do you mean? It's not about me. This thing I'm stepping into, this thing that's, that's expensive or costly, like I, I thought it was supposed to be about me. I thought this was supposed to be about what I get and, and what, what part of the deal I get to inherit or what part of the deal I get to enjoy, but that's not the case. Where's the romance in that? Where's the love in that? The most, or the approach that most of us take is this. What do I want in a spouse? True or not true? Most of us walk into a marriage, most of us walk into a relationship, or most of us walk through our lives with this question in mind, what do I want? And it's us, it's focused on me. Or this one, uh, what makes me happy? What qualities in somebody else makes me happy? What makes me feel good? What about this one? Uh, do we have chemistry with one another? Does our relationship, as we come together, do we feed off each other? Do we fuel off each other? Is it this like euphoric, love, romantic, like, like do I experience this chemistry with another person or this? What void will this person fill in my life? The whole approach, this is our culture. The whole approach our culture has to this is a me-centered approach. And here's the bad deal. I, I had a mentor once that said this. Uh, he said, Satan or sin always over-promises and under-delivers. That's just what he does. He just hands out raw deals like they're candy. I'm going to over-promise. I'm going to sell you on this. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be all about you. They're going to make you happy. And you know what happens at the beginning of almost every relationship is that's how it starts. This is amazing. This is filling me. It makes me happy. It fills a void. Everything is great at the very beginning, but then the wheels fall off at the end. God is saying, I have a different purpose and a different dream for you for marriage, that you would experience something outside of you, greater than you, because when the chemistry goes away, the, the, the marriage falls apart. When the happiness goes away, the marriage begins to crumble. When the person that you're married to can no longer fill whatever it is you were getting from them, the wheels fall off. God is saying to us, he's actually giving us a gift in his word. He's saying, I have something so much better for you. I have something that's going to live up to everything that I promised it will be. But we have to start with a proper understanding. Marriage is not about us. It's about him. And it's been about him 
since the very beginning. So here's the deal. The culture that Paul was writing to, I think oftentimes we want to write the Bible off as like irrelevant, right? That was written thousands of years ago. It doesn't pertain to us anymore. It's different, whatever. The culture, as much as we can study about the culture that day in Ephesus, it was exactly like the culture today. I mean, it was like you, you could transplant people from one culture to the other, and you would say, wow, this feels very similar. So as Paul is writing to this, he's writing to them, but he can also be writing right to us. So let's keep going here. I want to I be honest with you. Um, my dating game in college was horrible. I, I wrote down, I said that nicer. I said this. I said, I'll be the first one to tell you, when I was in college, my dating game sucked. It was bad. In fact, it, it was so pathetic. I used to say to people that were closest to me, they're like, how's life going? Or how are you doing? Or how's relationships? Whatever. I, I'd look at them and I'd be like, I, I'm doing amazing. Like, I feel like God is for me in every area of my life except relationships. And in that one, he's actively opposed. It was just like, no matter what I did, what I tried, it didn't work, right? It, it's like you break up with people you weren't dating. It's like, I wasn't aware. Why do I have to break up with them if I didn't know we were dating? Or it's like, wow, the, you bring out a very bad thing inside of me. Like, I, I'm not a good person. It's like relationships that kept playing out or unfolding. It's like, why can't any of this work? I was so frustrated. I remember uh, after years and years, I didn't date anybody throughout college. That sucks. And it's like college, I was so excited about it. It's like, finally, it's like I'm fishing in a different pond and I got nothing. You know, it's like going fishing and getting nothing. It's not fun fishing anymore. That's how I felt about dating and about relationship. So it came to a head between me and God. And I, I remember this. I remember this conversation that I was having with him, this, this prayer. I said, I quit. This is a bad deal. I'm trying so hard. I just, I give up. If you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever. And you know, the image I had was I was like, I'll throw a backpack on my back and I'll head out to Europe and I'll go to Ireland and I'll go village to village and village and say, this is the life you gave me. I mean, I was like, I was done. I just wanted to fight him and just be like, fine, I quit. I'm done. You know, it's so funny how I met Shannon. I'm now, I'm married. We've been married for over five years. I love my wife. She is such a gift from God. You know how we met? It was a blind date set up by a pastor. You know how boring that sounds saying that out loud? <laughs> And then it gets worse. Like, her dad's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. A pastor set us up. Now I'm a pastor. It's like God's going, I, I just felt bad for you. I just want to remind you for the rest of your life that I created your marriage. That's how I feel about God. It was like my game was so bad, but he says, I have pity on you, so I'm going to fix it for you. You know what's funny about marriage? When I stepped into it, it was not what I thought it would be. In some senses, it, it's been it's far exceeded any expectation that I ever imagined. I mean, I truly believe, usually Shannon sits right next to me over here. Uh, she is such a gift from the Lord for me. But the, the guy that set us up, his name was Don. He used to look at me. I still remember this clear as day. He used to say, like right early on in our relationship, he said, David, I think marriage is one of the most sanctifying processes a man can ever go through. I had no idea what that meant. I was like, what, whatever. Like, I, you see her? She's awesome. She's, I don't know if sanctification has anything to do with her. We, we have this great thing going. It was me-centered. It was totally me-centered. He said, David, marriage is one of the most sanctifying processes a man can go through. And I want to articulate five years later, I, I understand why. 
I understand why. Because this, when I went into marriage, I never knew how selfish I actually was. I had no idea. When I went into marriage, I didn't know how broken I actually was. When I went into marriage, I had no idea how much effort would be required of me, how much grace would be required of me, and how much forgiveness I was actually in need of. And when that becomes your reality day after day after day after day after day, you start to realize that God has a very explicit intention for marriage. And it's not individual fulfillment. It's an invitation to understand how he sees us. Here's the biggest thing I learned. I learned that I was not like Jesus at all in the way that I loved Shannon. But I was called to be. The gap between the two started the process of sanctification, which means becoming more like Jesus. That fits the story. That fits the mold. That fits the purpose, starting right at the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end, what Jesus says and how Jesus describes you and me, his church. How he describes us, Jesus says, I'm the groom and my church is the bride. What he's saying is, is the horizontal relationships that we have in marriage or, or how we approach marriage or when we look at marriage is the, the approach or what we see or view of marriage actually points to a greater reality, which is the relationship Jesus desires with us. It's a vertical relationship. He offers us the real thing. That's why it's so important as we look at Genesis chapter 2 when it says it was not good for the man to be alone. The man was alone, and, and God said, I'm, I'm going to do something for you to remind you that you're not alone. I, I'm going to provide a horizontal relationship to reinforce the vertical relationship that I have with you. God created this gift, but it was never supposed to be about the gift. It was always supposed to be about the giver. So marriage, when the wheels fall off, when it falls apart, when it crumbles, when it deteriorates, it's because we've made it about us and what we want and what we get out of it, rather than the original intention the entire time, which points to the person of Jesus. This is why so many people, if not everybody, the wedding day looks different than the marriage. You know what I'm talking about? The wedding day looks different. Let me articulate it. So on your wedding day, it often goes like this. It's a day, right? All of you have a date that you got married. I put mine on the calendar. I'm not good with details. I'm not good with dates, but I remember there's a date. I see it every year, August 6th, I think. I hope I don't get quizzed on that. Uh, event. It's an event. It's, all, it's a party. It's something with a time. The, the, the participation is pretty passive, Right? Like, like you show up and you're there and other people or different people have roles. You partake in it. And it's like there's this thing that happens. And then there's this. There's a, a transaction. Right? We talked about it even at the beginning. One plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals one. A man leaves his mom and dad, or should. A wife or a woman leaves her mom and dad, definitely. And, and the two should come together and they should start a new life in their new home. Amen? Amen. All the parents, right? Yeah, amen? Amen? I think you're still tracking. Let's go. There's a couple more. Uh, the other thing about your wedding day is about, it's about what you get. I remember what I got on my wedding day. My wife was awesome. She was hot. 
holy smokes. I, there's pictures of me with my mouth just gaping wide open as she walked down the aisle. I was like, I, what? She picked me? Well, you are so, I don't care about the pastor thing, Lord. You are so good to me. It's like, I remember the wedding day. It was all about what I'm getting. And Shannon, she's like, what am I getting? It's less of a deal. Last one. Isn't this true, too? A wedding day, it's often at somebody else's cost. It's often parents or grandparents that, that participate or give or host. Or, it's often the wedding day is so different than the marriage. Amen? Because what's the marriage look like? Let's go through the marriage. Marriage is not for a day. It is for life. It is no longer about a one-day event. You don't need an anniversary for your life. You live it. So the difference between a wedding and a marriage, it's not one day, it's a life. The second one is this. It's not an event, it's an experience. It's not something that you passively participate in. It's something you actively participate. You are experiencing it. You are growing through it together. It is an experience. This one, uh, it's not a transaction. It's all about transformation. Transaction is it takes place and it's done. You sign the document. You say your vows. You do it in front of witnesses. But transformation is this will be a process that you undergo for the rest of your life. Jesus' intention for marriage is that it would transform us as we become more like, like him. What you get, it's no longer about what you get. You knew this was coming. It's about what you give. Your wedding day is what you get but your marriage is now focused on and defined by what you give. Then this last one, somebody else's cost, it's often the cost, the cost of yourself. It's your cost. It's no longer somebody else's cost. It's as we figure this out, as I own my stuff, as we step in, as we head into a hard season, it's now my cost. This approach to marriage is so difficult. And it's why half of them don't survive. But here's what's amazing about this. Marriage is a metaphor that points to the person of Jesus. So if we switch the slide here, it's no longer about a wedding day. It's about Jesus on the cross. And as we switch this one, it's no longer about a marriage. It's about a relationship with Jesus. You can change the headings and everything fits. Jesus, the best news of the gospel, it starts on the cross. Jesus went to the cross on a very specific day. It was on a day, and he, he, he hung in front of everybody. He was nailed to a cross, and he took on and endured the sins of us and all of the world, and he paid the price. It was, not, it was an event that people participated in. People were there. Witnesses were there. Just like a wedding day, witnesses watched as Jesus went to the cross and took on the sin and the shame and the guilt of the world. There was a transaction that took place between Heavenly Father and Jesus. And it was for us. It was about what we got that day. Jesus says, through my, through my suffering, through my sacrifice, through my death, you get life. It was about what we got, and then this, it was at somebody else's cost. It was his. He took it on. He paid for it. 
marriage is a metaphor. God invites us into the metaphor to understand the real thing that it points to so that we can realize that we're on a journey with Jesus for our lives. That he wants us to experience him in a totally different way. That he wants to transform us to be more like him and more like the person of Jesus. And now we pick up our cross and we follow him. We actually die to ourselves so that our life can be found and buried in Jesus. And it's the cost of ourself. It's a beautiful picture. It's beautiful imagery. It's be- God said, I, I want to create marriage to point to me. And then in this, Matthew 22, verse 30, there's not words on the screen, but Jesus says this, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Marriage is on the clock. That in heaven, when we die someday and we spend eternity with Jesus, there will no longer be a need for the metaphor because what we have access to is the real thing. It all points one direction and it's focused on the person of Jesus. So here's how I want to close just as the band comes out. Um, I bet a lot of people in here say, but you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand the pain that we're going through right now as a couple. You don't understand the hardship that has struck. You don't know how many times I've thought about divorce. You don't know the time, how many times we thought about separating or just calling it quits or just enduring, being roommates for the sake of the kids. You don't understand what we've been through or what we're in right now. And guess what? You're right. I don't. But Jesus does. What he's inviting you to step into is something that will change your life forever. It is all about this picture. And I just, I love this picture. Jesus said, what I did for you on the cross, your marriage should point to every single day. And it starts with us. It doesn't start with your spouse changing. It it doesn't start with, okay, but I need a spouse first to be able to lean into this. No, no, no. Jesus says, because of this, because of the cross, because of the transaction that took place on that day on Calvary, you now have access to a relationship with me that can change your life forever. So that's where we're headed. For the rest of the series, we're just going to unpack what is this greater relationship that Jesus offers us and how that can play out through our marriage. So I want to close with a couple of these questions. Just three of them. It starts like this. Question number one, does your approach to marriage match the metaphor that God designed it to be? This is intentionally a yes or no question. Does your approach to marriage, does how you see marriage, does does how you step into it or how you desire it, does it match the metaphor that God intended for it from the very beginning? Question number two goes like this. Are you willing to let God rewrite your love story? Wherever you're at right now, maybe you have a stellar marriage and it's incredible and God goes, I know, but I wanna, I wanna rewrite parts. There's pieces that you're holding on to. There's pieces that are still about you. I, I wanna rewrite it. I wanna draw you in so that through your marriage or through your singleness or through whatever circumstances you're in, you can understand and know me on a deeper level. Are you willing to let God rewrite that part of your story? Question number three is the hardest, I think, of all three. It says is, how can you emulate Jesus in your present circumstances? It's not about what can Jesus do for me right now. It's how can I live as a representation of him to my wife right now? 
How can I live as a representation of him to my husband right now? Whether they're a believer and a follower of Jesus or not, whether they're here with you today or watching with you online or not. Maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, maybe you've never been married. How can you emulate Jesus in your circumstances today? My hope for you is that you will experience the richness and the beauty and the blessing that Jesus has for you because of him. So let's pray. God, we just come before you. We're grateful for the metaphor that you've given us in marriage so that we can understand your love and your heart and your desire for us. So Lord, what, what we pray for right now is that you would begin a work in us or that you would continue a work in us that softens our heart to what you can do and what you desire to do in us. Father, we all have hopes, we all have dreams, we all have desires for things that many times come out of our brokenness. So I just thank you for the cross. I thank you for the words that we got to sing today about your goodness, about your grace, about your provision, about your creation, about such a good God that you actually are. I pray today that our church would trust you, that they would lean in. And if those don't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would open their hearts right now that you would minister, that you would speak, and that you would invite us into the sacred relationship that we can have with you. We love you. We pray for relationships right now. We pray for marriages right now, especially those that are struggling. We pray that you would bring peace. We pray that you would bring comfort. We pray that you would bring stability. We pray that you would bring help. Father, lead us. This is your church. This is all about you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen.